They say, they say we should have known better than to fall so deep down, deep down into this rabbit hole we found. Welcome to another edition of Down the Rabbit Hole Newscast, where our crew of Monday morning InfoSec quarterbacks discusses the important events affecting enterprise security and provides their unique analysis and perspective. And now, James Jardine, Michael Santarcangelo, and the White Rabbit, Rafael Los. Hey, it's Tuesday, February 7th, 2016. This is episode 231. It's a newscast. Raph is caught in the skies. It's Michael and James here. As always, today we're going to talk about W2 scams. What happens when your pacemaker, or perhaps your IoT, turns against you? <laughs> Facebook rolling out two-factor hardware? Five cybersecurity tools your company should have. We're going we're, to be a fun conversation. And Target is back in the news, kind of, at least in terms of an appeals court blocking the breach settlement. Wow, that's something so we're not going to we're not going to talk about their big giant red ball rolling across the, the parking lot <laughs> in the car, and then saying it's not our fault. That's interesting. Yeah, no, that is it's it's interesting. If anybody hasn't seen that yet, you know, do a quick search on Google for Target uh, red ball hits car. <laughs> The video of it and everything is pretty interesting. Devastating. What I, what I think is interesting, in all fairness, is there's a total security angle to that. Because people, it's interesting to listen to the news talk about that and say, oh, well, these are emblematic of the target symbol. No, they're called bollards, and they're there to prevent a truck from crashing into the store. Now, I have a hard time actually believing that because they're not even close enough together. <laughs> well, that's that's the thing about it. So maybe it's maybe all right. So maybe it is. I think they're just decoration. I think they, maybe somebody that has their CISSP said, "Hey, these are ballers. Let's <laughs> put these up and let's space them out fifty feet apart." So that way you can totally uh, so that way we can't through it. put a plane through here, but. <laughs> well, I mean, look, what was interesting on the video was it got nudged by a pickup truck, and the next thing you know, he got a two-ton red concrete ball rolling across the parking lot, which was which was stopped by a man and his dog. And and you look at it, and you're like, wow. And then I look at it, and I go, wait, you just stepped in front of a two-ton rolling ball, and that makes One. sense to you? So He didn't know how much that thing weighed. Let's, let's be honest. You don't know how much it weighs. And two, I got to wonder... How many more videos of this are we going to see now that that's gone, you know, out public? Because this game. happened back in like November last year. New game. How many more people are going to nick those balls to knock them off their spot? Well, let's hope I'm not there. And uh, so, newsflash: if you're going through a Target parking lot, pay attention. But what we will talk about with Target too is is the is the prolonged uh, uh, breach uh, that I think we've already gotten enough of. But it's that time of year. Uh, it's that time of year where you're supposed to do your W two. In fact, I thought I, uh, you know yesterday was the Super Bowl. Uh, based on the fact we're recording this on Monday. And I saw an interesting headline on Sunday that basically said the IRS has said that they're going to delay uh, tax returns. And that that's, of course, tragically going to impact consumer sales and people weren't going to buy as many of their TVs and stuff uh, as they would normally do or, or would like to see. But we're looking at it a little bit differently. So what happens around tax time? People get their returns. So if you're uh, a scammer, if you're an attacker, and you're looking to prey on people, what are you going to try to do? You're going to try to separate people from their money. They're looking for their money. They're interested. So, James, what, what, do, you think, what do you think the concern is here, or what should we be looking at? 
Well, I think, you know, I mean, the article that we have, right, I mean, we're starting to see people that have, they, they go about these phishing attempts or phishing attempts, right? They're they're reaching out to companies and trying to get somebody in the payroll department or human resources department uh, to be able to release W-2s to them instead of to the actual, uh, you know, employee that should be getting it, right? Because, I mean, we need the W-2s for when we file our taxes, uh, and that's what happened here, right? Somebody created a scam. They posed as the company's CEO and sent an email to the payroll account uh, employee, and they requested that they send all 4,000 employees W-2 forms in PDF forms uh, to them. And, of course, the person said, oh, this is from the CEO. I, I don't know if this is exactly what they said, but right, came from the CEO. Let me go ahead and bundle these up and, and move them over and send them on their way. And this isn't the only one. I've seen other headlines talking about this as well, where other companies are getting scammed. With, you know, somebody requesting these W-2s. They pretend to be somebody high up in the company. And so people package them up and ship them on their way. Uh, and, you know, this this is a problem, right? It's this time of year, so it's good to bring this up, let people, you know, remind people that it's here. But bring it around to the enterprise side, right? This is a chance for us to, again, go back, look at our processes, what do you have in place when it comes to somebody requesting W-2s? I mean, you should have a process for, hey, this is how we process them. This is how they get sent. But what happens when something out of the ordinary? I mean, how often is it that the CEO is requesting W-2s be emailed to them? Well, and here's here's another point to this, too. So I actually just looked up to confirm it. What What's included on a W-2 wage and tax statement? The employee social security number. It has to be there. This is an IRS form. That's one of the things it's intended for. It includes their name, their address, their zip code, uh, and then it has any other information about them, including their wages for the year, whatever taxes were and weren't withheld, and it's a lot of specific information. So you mentioned the vishing scams as well. You know What's kind of fascinating about this is that's a lot of information. You and I are real quick. Every time somebody, you know, they'll equate, oh, there was a, a, a payment card breach. That could be identity theft. And we're like, no, not, not necessarily. Somebody stealing your W-2s? Yes. That could well, totally be an identity theft in the making. Well, yeah, and, you know, it, it goes towards helping them, especially when you're talking about getting fraudulent tax refunds, right? It goes to helping that because if you can have more specific information. Exactly right. You know, as they're sitting there trying to compare, okay, well, the company reported this, but the user's reporting that, you know, there's there's a big discrepancy. But if you actually have the W-2, well, then now you have a much clearer representation of what they're reporting to be able to, to bypass kind of those checks that are being put in place to All help right, cut so, down on fraud. So let's look at this enterprise perspective. I got two thoughts come to mind. I'm curious what you think. First of which is, you know, it's easy to sit here and laugh. It's easy to sit here and say, oh, that wouldn't happen to us. Bet it would. Uh, and I don't mean that to be negative. Everybody knows I, I, I don't look at this as a, oh, people are stupid. I, I'm the exact opposite. Let's look at the reality of it. Your accounting department right now, between getting this done and end of year and getting stuff to the payroll people and everything else, it, no, no, this is this high pressure, high stakes time for them. This is when mistakes get made and attackers know this. So the question isn't just, have you told them? This, the answer to everything isn't always, did you warn somebody about it? It's a, what controls do you have in place? Do you, I, I can't tell you, and, and it, this is a good thing, by the way. I've had a number of people come to me, so I can't tell you how many, uh, but I've had a number come to me and say, you know, we have these controls in place now that anytime it's a financial request, there has to be a voice 
phone call made and and we know the people, blah, blah, blah. Great. By the way, would that work in your organization? Don't know. That's the right question. Here's the second thing then. Have you had conversations or dialogues? Everybody's always looking for interesting things around security. Uh, awareness. Not awareness training. Not awareness training. Training's different. This is just awareness where people start to say, well, what would happen? Because one of the things we know is if you say, well, what would the impact to you be? They go, I don't care. It gets reported anyway. Like, isn't that public knowledge? No, it's not public knowledge. This is a great opportunity to say, hey, let's go have a conversation. Let's, you know, this, if this is thing people are interested in, you can use this story and then you can talk about how your organization, you're working to protect them and ask them if they've got any questions. And those are good things because they're real. What do you see from an enterprise perspective? Anything to add, James? Yeah, I mean, I, I think it's all about that process, right? I mean, it's understanding how do we process W-2s? What's the the method that we have in place if there's an exception to that process? Making sure that everything's documented, that people know what those things are. And then to your point, you know, using these as conversation starters, right? I mean, we're mid-tax season. You know, go out and talk to, to people. You know, as you see these stories come up, go talk to your payroll people and, and mention the story and say, hey, did you see this happen? You know, let's talk about why that happened. You know, what was the potential breakdown there? And how would that affect us if something like that happened here? Right. What if what if the CEO actually did email you and say, hey, I want you to bundle up all 4000 W2s and email them to me? What do you do? I mean, do you have a response for that? You know, do you? Double check with somebody else. I mean, we we know the CEO wants something, you know, and this is what we prey on, right? Is that, well, we're going to do it, right? CEO says jump. You say how high. But there's got to be the checks and balances there. So having those conversations because using real-life stories like this is the best way to get people to kind of open their eyes to some of the, the ways and techniques that attackers use to try to get this information, right? We can come in and we can use blog examples all day long say oh you shouldn't do this and you shouldn't do that but when we take a story like this and we say hey this is how it went down this is how it transpired what would you do in those situations and you have that conversation it's not just me teaching you something it's hey let's talk about this and just walk through it so you have an understanding of how attackers go about this stuff right this is how people are looking to come into it and now we're not only thinking about this particular attack vector but now we're more conscious about, oh, you know, they're willing to try stuff like that. You know, how many people out there when you talk about attacking something and they're like, oh, I never would have thought of doing something like that. You know, but as you really start to get the point across, then they start kind of having those wheels churn and they start thinking about other ways to do it. I saw it with my wife. You know, we were at a lacrosse game last year, the year before. And she sees one of those badges hanging around somebody's neck that's got the all access handwritten on it. And she leans over and she says, you know, that wouldn't be that hard to duplicate. And I'm like, yes, exactly. You know, and she doesn't do security. But, you know, she's around me enough. She starts to pick up on that type of stuff where even on her own, she's looking around and she sees something that seems odd, like a handwritten all access badge. So what you're saying is this year you have all access. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, lacrosse didn't last that long here as a professional sport. But uh, if we did, we certainly could have, right? I mean, it'd be easy to reproduce that badge. But that's the point, you know, is that when you talk about things in ways that people can relate to them, then they actually start expanding that out on their own and they start looking for different things to, to pick up and think about. What's well, interesting you mentioned looking at different things to pick up and think about. This story, we both talked about it last week, and it was kind of interesting. Um, we've gone through a, a, a place at our house where all the TVs are 
officially disconnected, turned off. We canceled cable. We kept the internet, of course. Uh, we've restricted you, uh, all sorts of stuff. And uh, but yet, I, I afford myself a little bit of local radio in the morning, just kind of catch up on a, a little bit of news, not overly negative. And of course, they do this story about cops use pacemaker data to find that, that you know the guy was was part of arson. So it's interesting because we've got. Uh, ultimately, uh, two articles on this. One is from Network World. One is from the American Bar Association. And then I've got a third one that just kind of looks at IoT. So it, basically what happened here was guy's house burns down. He calls it in, says my house is on fire. And they said, you know, some of the statements didn't seem consistent. He said he's got a pacemaker, but he gathered up his stuff, broke the window, threw it out the window, and escaped in time. But the police came, and they said his statements weren't consistent. And the fire said his statements are not, the fire service said they're not consistent with the way this happened. So what they ultimately did, because he said he had an artificial heart or a pacemaker, was they went and they got the data from the device. And then they had a, a cardiologist review it and say, somebody under his condition in this kind of an environment, is this the data that you'd expect to see? And he said, no, there's I don't even know if the guy could have done what he said he did, let alone in that data. Like, no. So now they've charged him with, uh, it's a felony count, arson, $400,000 of damage. I'm sure there's insurance fraud, all sorts of other things. So what's interesting is, for example, in the network world, it says, well, hold on. Uh, can that happen? Because there's a Fifth Amendment that protects you from being forced to incriminate yourselves. Now, Sean Toomer is a friend of the show. Sean's on the show all the time. When there was a Florida ruling, and this matters from a Fifth Amendment perspective, there was a Florida ruling a couple weeks ago. And uh, I had Sean explain it to me, and I wrote this up for CSO, because what had happened was Florida court came out and said, well, hold on, you know what? I can compel you to give me your password. Uh, and, and, it, and most of the tech world did one of those, no, you can't. Everybody knows you can't. What's wrong with you? So I said to Sean, I said, Sean, you know, like, what's going on here? And he said, I'll tell you what, let me go read it. And Sean came back. He said, well, you know, I've discovered something interesting. We've been kind of shorthanding this for years as to say that the Fifth Amendment says that you can't incriminate yourselves, but it's actually not what it says. What it says is you can't be forced to testify against yourself. And then if you go deeper into the original cases and constructs, what it basically says is the testimonial has to be material to the incrimination. So like if you can lead the police to the body and you're the only person that knows where the body is, that's not so good for you. But in terms of a password, the password itself is no different than them being able to crack open the safe or force you to procure the key to it. So we've been saying for a while, well, I mean, keys and passwords are different. Look, I've, I've been on that train as well, based on the way that the court's been interpreting stuff. What this change means, if it were to propagate through, and it might, because it looks like they, they did a pretty reasonable uh, job of arguing it, it means that your password may not be as protected as you like. All right, so let's go back to medical devices. We're starting to see more and more now, right? We've talked about stories where people are asking for data on Alexa, the, the thing from Amazon. And they're looking at more and more places in these devices in our homes that have access to pictures, that have access to audio recordings, and what are we going to do with it? Now, we tend to focus on the enterprise side to it. So I, I see a couple things. One, is this data that you would at any point request of somebody? If you are trying to do one of your things, what, do you, what are you going to do? What about these devices in your organization? It, what if somebody comes into your organization and asks you? And before you say, no, 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 we don't allow that, there's a, one of the stories that we have is Amazon has already said, no, no, we think Alexa is going to be great in the office. It's going to make you smarter. We want, we want an Alexa in every office. 
right? Which, let's be fair. How many of you, once they changed the word to computer, were like, I totally want that. <laughs> like, yeah, <laughs> I want one of those. Computer, what's the weather outside today, right? I mean, I, I get why people get excited about that. But so the question then is, right, and one of the things I've always looked at is if you go, no, 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 we block it. at our Every time in history, from a security perspective, we said, no, no, I block it. You have not blocked it. All you've done is pushed it underground, made it tougher to see. So, you know, what liabilities would you have, if any? By the way, are you are you doing this type of stuff? What if somebody what if somebody came in and, and took your devices or, or how that works? Or, you know, are you are you building these types of devices? What type of data do you have? What are you storing? Well, Where are you storing? You know, it it also adds an interesting twist to it because if we start seeing more and more of this, you know, where we're pulling information from these type of things, right? We see pacemaker all the time. Uh, but you know, where does this change now from an enterprise perspective? You know, do you start asking questions? Are you even allowed to ask the question? Do you have a pacemaker? You know, are you starting to track now who has certain things that if something were to happen, you know, oh, Bob has a pacemaker in him. So, you know, he claims it was, you know, workman's comp. Let's go see what happens. Exactly. You know, and so, you know, that that's one aspect of it. Uh, are you tracking that type of stuff? Can you track that type of stuff? And, you know, we reach out to Sean for that stuff because we don't we don't have any clue. But uh, so, what I find so- interesting, though, about this is, you know, we talk about the Fifth Amendment, you know, your, your story about passwords and all that stuff. But, you know, when we talked about this last week, you know, to me, I sit there and look at it. You know, I mean, Basebanker's not you for one, right? I mean, it's a device that may be in you. Uh, but that, that would be like saying, well, you know, you can't dust my filing cabinet for fingerprints because it's my filing cabinet. And, you know, that could incriminate me. It it just seems, you know, different, right? It, it doesn't seem like it would fall under that. You know, it's a device you can query. Just like if I had video cameras in my house, you know, and something happens in my house and the police come and say, hey, we want to look at those video. Yeah, no, you can't look at those video cameras. Guess what? They're going to get a warrant. They're going to come and look at those well, video and cameras. Well, I think that's actually the important part to this, right? There's there's a due process to all of this. And, and some of this, I think, is Fifth Amendment. Some of what we're discussing is more Fourth Amendment. And so the question then is, does it rise to the level that they've, that they've seen the magistrate, that they've seen the judge, that they've presented their evidence, that they've made a case, and somebody makes a decision and says, yes, go ahead you know, and or otherwise compels you to produce that. Where I think, again, as we've been talking about, there's an enterprise play is to say, what happens when you bring these devices into your enterprise, knowingly or unknowingly? What happens when your employees are using these devices? Does that create, I mean, to be fair, this this might be a really useful thing for you in terms of your healthcare premiums for your organization. I mean, it's the same way that we have people plug those little devices in their OBD2 ports, OBD2 ports in their cars, and we get to look at their actual driving habits. And we always, you know, it's interesting, right? Because those insurance companies always say, this will help you have lower rates. No, not necessarily. I mean, if you drive <laughs> like an idiot, I'm pretty sure you're gonna, it's going to get you a, a more properly adjusted rate. So even though we quickly look at the negative of this and go, whoa, wait a minute, hold on. I'm fairly certain that with $400,000 on, on the line and the police noting inconsistencies at the time of the event, somebody said, wait a minute, he said he's got an artificial heart? Right. So, so what's he got? They look it up. They go, wait, you got a pacemaker? That thing store data? It does. Let's go talk to a doctor and see what a doctor says, and they present that information, and it goes forward. I, you know, is that good, bad, or indifferent? I, 
I, I'm kind of still in the, in the middle of it. I, I get a little apprehensive when I see the license plate readers every place and, and all these other things, but I'm, I'm told consistently that, that that's the way it is and, and to get over <laughs> it. So, you know, I just, I kind of look at it. I, I think they're good discussions to have. I think they're good discussions to have where it matters in the enterprise is, are you offering devices like this? Are you programming or maintaining devices like this? Are you using or contracting devices like this? And or uh, are they in your enterprise? And since the answer to that is, of course they are, the better question is, are you prepared to deal with it? And does that help you from an investigative perspective? And or does it create a liability for you? And are you prepared to, to handle it? Let's talk about two-factor authentication. We... Um, I, look, I, I don't hide it. Every time I hear somebody cry again about the password, like I, I wince a little bit. And it's kind of like passwords are single factors of authentication. It is something that you know. That's it. That's a password. When people cry about passwords, I always feel like so you don't actually understand authentication, right? So Because really, the, the proper way to cry against the password is to say, I detest single factor authentication that is only based on something I know. I don't like it. At that point then too, let's also talk about the fact that you don't like secret key technology because key management is just really hard. Do that, we're good. By the way, hashtag DTSR. Uh, if you agree, it's at Catalyst. If not, I'm James saying that stuff. <laughs> and that's at Jardine Software. And you can let them know what you think about his perverted ideas on passwords. But as I, as I look at these pieces though and I kind of pull it together, one of the things that I think we universally agree on is more factors is better. We used to call it strong authentication. We're over that now. We call it either 2FA, two-factor authentication, or MFA, multi-factor authentication. And all it means is that you have two or more factors, something you know, something you have, something that you are. We tend to equate that to biometrics. So what we're seeing now is some people say, well, wait a minute, I can give you a piece of hardware and you can carry that hardware with you and that serves as your form of authentication. And that's exactly now what Facebook is doing. They said, you know what? You don't just have to use SMS. You don't have to just use the Facebook authenticator, which is built into their mobile app, which I know because I just uninstalled it from my phone. Uh, (laughs) Boom. There you go. So what do you think, James? I mean, you look at a lot of this stuff. I don't have a hardware key for stuff. Um, I've been happy using software-related stuff and independent passwords and all sorts of other things. Am I wrong? Should I have one of these already? No, you know, I think it's interesting. You know, I'm a fan of if you've got more options, great, right? I mean, the more options, the better, uh, you know, maybe not everybody has access to to SMS to get the the second factor. Maybe they don't want to install something like Google Authenticator on their phone, right? I mean, the more options we have, the better. I mean, there's downsides to all the options. I mean, you know, I mean, even with a hardware token, guess what? You lose it. Well, it's gone. (laughs) Well, and we saw we saw for years with hardware tokens that people would just write the, the passcodes on them. They would write the PIN code to the hardware token on the back of the token. We see this now with, when we do full disk encryption, that people just write the passwords right on the, the, the lids of the laptops or, or whatever else. So sometimes we, we flat out obfuscate it or don't obfuscate it. I think, I think it's interesting. I, I like what you said in terms of giving people options. I like this. So from an enterprise perspective, my question is, you know, would, would you enable this? Now, what I think is interesting is if we look at it specifically just in terms of Facebook – Again, from a policy perspective, how many of you allow Facebook usage? How many of you monitor Facebook usage? How many of you then would allow a YubiKey or something like that, one of these hardware-based tokens that a lot of them use USB? Wait a minute. 
Are are you still going through that phase where we're hot gluing your USB ports so people can't use them, or are you back off of that now? And so I think there's a lot of questions here to take a look at it, but then I think there's a broader thing that says, this is what I always like about things like this. Facebook, they're huge by a lot, and most people are either familiar with it or have an opinion on it. And so as a result, this gives you a way to talk about it. And again, keep in mind, if you say to somebody, well, should you protect your Facebook? Most of them are going to go, well, it's my Facebook. Why do I care? But we can probably go rustle up a couple examples of where somebody wishes they did a slightly better job of protecting their Twitter or their Facebook or their LinkedIn account or something to that effect and say, hey, if they gave you the option to have a device that you could, you know, do you carry your keys with you? Yeah. What if you could have a device that looked like a key and could fit on your keychain? And the only way that you could log into Facebook is if you plug that in. Watch their reaction. They're like, that's awesome. Or, no, I hate that. If they say it's awesome, then then cool. But then I think what happens is, what do you let people do? I used to teach people how to do better passwords. And what I, we always ended with, once the light dawns and I go, whoa, wait a minute. Well, how, how am I going to remember all that? And you say, well, there's this thing called a password manager. Would you like to learn how to use it? Yes, please. And next thing you know, you got another half hour going. People learn how to use password managers. And invariably, somebody in the course would say, Michael, do I need a different password manager for home and for work? Should they be on different devices? Should I do different things? Right? And, and they would ask really thoughtful questions about it. Here's the point. We work with smart people who, when you give them a chance in the right environment to understand the situation, they're genuinely interested in and capable of making better decisions. So the question is, are you nurturing that? Are you giving them those options? And if they choose those options on their own for the things that are important to them, are you promoting and supporting that? Or are you blocking it? That's how I look at this from an enterprise perspective. Hashtag DTSR. Let us know. Are you using hardware for your two-factor authentication? It'll be interesting too, because I mean, this isn't something that's new, right? We've had RSA tokens forever. And, you know, there's plenty of sites out there that support things like YubiKeys and other hardware tokens. Uh, it's just new to Facebook. And with the size of it, I'd be curious to see how much more adoption we may see after this or if it doesn't have a whole lot to play well, in. Well, I mean, right? Facebook I mean, a, a already gave like the that. ability to do PGP keys, right? I don't think that adoption went so, yeah. up rapidly, right? That's a, that's a cottage thing. PGP is great. I love it. I'm just – I'm kind of pointing out – you know, but by the way, I think World of, uh, was it World of Warcraft? Somebody else did the same thing, and, and they made it like, here's our $5 token, and this will protect your account. And they saw, and I don't have the numbers in front of me, but tremendous uptake. Absolutely. Because people were actually, right, they're spending real dollars in, a, in an offline, in a real, you know, alternate world game, and it, it mattered to them. So, I, you know, and what we've, I've looked at for years, I haven't looked at it in recent times, but like over the last decade, almost any time there's a survey, and it's related to your money, uh, and, and the bank does the survey and it says, hey, if we could give you a way to better protect your money at our bank, now it might cost you an extra $10. Is that something you're willing to do? And almost invariably, the answer is always, oh, yeah, sure, I'd do that. Yeah, no problem. So, you know, I, I, I think that's the thing that's interesting to me is is that from an enterprise perspective, what what would you do? And then do you see more requests for it? So to your point, James, now that Facebook is rolling this out, would they do it? Now, if you look at it, right, for the first time ever, Facebook is marketing something. What are they marketing? Facebook Live. They're not marketing that they've got two-factor uh, 2FA hardware support or anything else. I don't, mean, I, don't, I don't mean that they should, by the way. I'm just saying I think it's interesting. In fact, what I think you should probably do is a Facebook Live 
of using the two-factor authentication. A little inception. I think we can make it work out the right way. All right, I threw this article in here. Five cybersecurity tools you company should have. I think they meant your company should have. And then what, what it says, and listen, I, I'm not trying to, to pull people down. Um, I, I like this kind of stuff, but it says smaller businesses, frequent turns for, targets for cybercrime for a simple reason. They're easy targets. Now, if you're listening to us and you're that small small business, I'm curious what you think of what we're going to talk about next. But if you're the enterprise, I want you to think about this from a different lens. These are your partners. Third-party risk management is growing at a tremendous pace. And we've seen a lot of companies that just three years ago had partners they could count on two hands now have hundreds of partners or at least 100 partners. And then you start getting into when's the last time you reviewed them and what are they able to do? And let's be candid for a second here. What are you actually assessing? Most of these third-party vendor, vendor risk assessments, you're, you're, just, you're filling out a questionnaire. Now, I'm not saying people are intentionally misleading on it. I'm just asking if they're qualified to answer it to the depth you'd like them to. So keep that in the back of your head. Here are the uh, five things they recommend, James. I want to know if this is what you would recommend. Here's how. Five tools and services small and medium businesses use can use to protect themselves. Number one, get secure office hardware. We'll come back to all of these. Um, <laughs> so, okay, yes, I, all right. So number two, keep spies out of your email. Number three, stop ransomware. Well, congratulations on that. Number four, train your employees. Number five, get SLL for your website. I'm pretty sure they meant SSL, so we'll, we'll give them a pass on that. I'm pretty uh, sure that's one of the other typos. You had mentioned typo earlier, and I saw that. And I was like, hmm, what's an SLL? And then I read it, and I was like, ah, SSL. All right, so here's the thing first. <laughs> this, this was not written by a security person, um, which is actually interesting because I, it almost feels more like it is. It feels over. So here's my challenge with this. This is overly simplified. Uh, I, I've been working with businesses of all sides, including startups. I don't know what it means to get me uh, secure office hardware. Now, there's been a renewed push in the last couple of weeks that I've seen of printer companies, not just HP. Everybody's come out now and said, I've got a secure option. You should check out my secure option. Is it a big deal or not? I, let's go with uh, quantifiable maybe. But how much more am I paying for that benefit? I'm not exactly sure yet. And I'm just looking at this to say, so the blanket statement is get secure office hardware. Uh, that's not, that doesn't feel actionable to me. Um, uh, but I'm going to add this, though. Let's go back to the other lens. If you're an enterprise and you guys have done the time to do a threat model and you've done an appropriate risk assessment and you've said to your third parties, hey, you know what? I'd love it if you guys could use a VPN. And you know what? We're going to go ahead and either supply you the specs for the hardware or we'll even give you the hardware ourselves. Have you done that? Because one of the, the, the point I'm going to make as we keep going through these is that when you're a big company, you have a couple things that you can offer to these smaller companies that are good for you, for them, and for the industry. You can offer them your time. You can offer them your insights. And you can offer them access to the tools and the products and the services that you have. Now, I'm not saying it's simple. I, I'd, I'm acutely aware of that. But the benefit to you then is that you have a higher level of confidence, especially if you've given them some of your time, that they both understand why you're doing what you're doing and how it works, that they can incorporate that, which is leveling up their game. They level up their game, that levels up your game, it reduces your risk, it also improves your relationship, which improves your ability to do the monitoring and to better understand what your risk looks like. 
The third benefit then is it helps all of us in the industry. You know, a lot of people, we, we talk a lot, and James, you and I talk about this all the time. How do we share? How do we share information? How do we figure this stuff out? And what we find is there's an appetite for it, but there's some challenges around it. I think this is a, a, a simple way to do it. So let's move past that. Keep spies out of your email. Um, yeah, I, I got nothing here. Somebody. Yeah. Sold it looks idea. like they're talking about, when, you know, people putting like trackers in the email, you know, the things that light up when. The email's open, it tracks back when it was opened, where, you know, the IP address at which it was opened. Uh, you know, we used to do this with images, right? Put a image in there. When the call's out for it, we could see when it was open. Kind of, I don't know. I mean, it seems interesting. I mean, it doesn't seem that great of if I was going to implement five things, that would be top on my list to help secure my organization. Uh, unless I'm just misreading that. I mean, uh, even yeah, with the first one, right? It, I mean, it, it just seems kind of vague and... Well, I mean, same thing. Stop ransomware. I mean, I, I'd like to see that you have a, a good backup, that you've protected the backup, and that you've verified that you can restore from it. Training your employees. We find that this is hard. And this is why, you know, at least it didn't say build awareness. I mean, it does, because then it goes right to security awareness training. So what it feels like is this person got a bunch of pitches from different companies and said, oh, I'll fasten, fasten these into a list. This is where I get concerned with things like these. Th this is not a list I would offer to any of the startups that I work with. Not even the, the train your employees. I would maybe assess where your employees are at. Um, I certainly wouldn't call anything security awareness training. The simplest way that you can disqualify yourself from the conversation is you call it security awareness training. You can have awareness and you can have training. You, awareness training, that's like saying, you know, and by the way, this exists. You can have meditation training. You're going to teach me how to meditate. If you're going to teach me how to be aware, that's great. Here, you know, I want you to recognize these things and I'm going to validate you. That's great. But when we say, when I hear people say security awareness training and then they immediately conflate it to, so now they understand and they take the right action. No, that's not, that's, no, that's, that's training and it's actually development at that point, right? Training is learning the skills, understanding, applying it in the situation to get to the right outcome, probably when nobody's looking. Uh, yeah, kids, that's not training anymore. That's development. So like awareness, let's call that a dollar sign. Training is like three to five dollar signs and development is more than that. And it's ongoing and that's what takes the time. And the reason that we don't get anywhere with this is because we haven't made those investments yet. So none of these, except for the SSL, I guess, which, you know, is now well, basically free. But, you know, so the, what's interesting to me on the train your employees, the first line they have in there where it states one of the most common and preventable attacks on small business is social engineering attack triggered by phishing attempts. Uh, you know, look, I, I mean, I, I just saw this someplace else where somebody was saying they require there's some new reg requiring training to block all or, or stop all phishing attempts. Uh, you know, look, e even the best security experts can get caught with phishing attempts. So uh, while yes, I guess it is preventable. It's not 100% preventable, right? I mean, anybody can fall for a phishing attempt, uh, depending on how much time and effort you want to put into it to make the story look real. And, and I feel like it's somewhat misleading there to say, oh, look, if you train your employees, you will no longer be susceptible to phishing uh, because that is 100% not true. And the phishers right? are getting people that have PhDs in, in human psychology and behavioral economics. And they're, they're getting these people to work through all these different things, and they're constantly looking for new vectors. Look, and so I just, my point on this, it sounds like I, we've been overly negative on it, and that wasn't the point. The point was twofold. One, if you're in the, per, if you're in the opportunity to do something about this, 
I'd love to see what you come up with. I'd love to see what your list looks like. One of the things I loved about Visa before it was PCI was they used to do this talk called the Digital Dozen. And they would go out and they would talk to companies and they would say, look, what we're going to tell you is if you follow these 12 steps, and that was the predicate to PCI, uh, if you follow these 12 steps, we, we tend to find that you'll have less problems. So here, we're going to go ahead. We're going to educate you. And they did like a traveling show. And they went around and they told people about it. You're a, if you're a big enterprise and you're working with third-party people, instead of just saying, here, fill out this form. we got to assess if you're a risk or not. I would love to see what happens when you take the approach that says, here's the five things we find most valuable across all our folks. And by the way, if you got questions, every Friday we do office hours. And call us up. We're here for you. Because they probably can't afford to go get your quality of support, number one. Or number two, maybe they don't know who to trust, but they're happy to do business with you, and so therefore they can learn. So my whole point on this is just be wary of things like this, and you have an opportunity where you can combat it. You can do something about it. All right, before we wrap up the show, last part, just because we always track these things and follow them, it sounds like we're getting ready for another big Tuma episode. The appeals court blocks the target data breach settlement. So this is one, uh, we'll give it to you. You can get access to it. You do have to subscribe to get the access to it. So if you remember, there was a $10 million settlement. um, And basically what was interesting about it was they said, okay, so your data may have been compromised in the breach, but you can't really show us that there's any harm, but I'll tell you what, we'll go ahead and we'll, we'll we'll put that out there and, and find. So there's $10 million, carve it up as you want. And, and so the appeals court stepped in and said, wait, hold on. No, you you can't do that because there there wasn't a harm. If there weren't any economic losses, you can't make a claim that there maybe one day could a sort of possibly be a problem. Now I know some of you right now are screaming or throwing or foaming and saying, "No, that's that's crap, Michael. That's that it's not how it works." And I'm going to come back and say, "Okay, but the the challenge is where is the harm?" And and that's what we're setting up for again now. Um, I've talked to some some other people, you know, and I, I feel a little guilty. It's not I've talked behind Sean's back. Sean's introduced me to some other people to talk about some of these concepts as well. Sean, you're our boo, baby. We love you. But but what's interesting is there, this is the whole area. We don't know. We don't know how to handle it. it and so what we're seeing is some states and, and some courts are saying, no, there doesn't need to be harm evident in order for us to presume future harm proceed. But now we had a case that did that and, and – the appeals court came back and said, uh, that's not how this works. That's not how any of this works. And so it's it's really kind of interesting um, to see where or how this is going to go. Uh, you know, this is this has been something that people um, they're paying a lot of attention to. So uh, to be fair, I'm not sure there's a lot here. It's more, more of a – here's, I guess, my last cautionary tale. Please don't use this as evidence that you know that target is is the shiny example of what could or couldn't happen security's great air cover uh, the CIO had been there for 10 years. So to come back and say, well, what this demonstrates is blah, blah, no, it doesn't mean the CEO is going to get fired unless your company also has a polar vortex and a failed expansion in Canada at the same time. It doesn't mean the CIO is going to get canned because they didn't have a CISO because the average tenure for a CIO today is like two to three years. They'd been there for 10 years. I'm sure it was time for that person to move on. I don't know the details. I'm just saying like until you can address those issues with it. So now I'll turn and say, well, you could pay out millions of dollars. Well, yeah, or maybe not. Um, now, is that good, bad, or indifferent? Hashtag DTSR. Love to hear well, what you have to say. 
And I think what's interesting is, you know, near the top, a few paragraphs down, they talk about, uh, they say, but those without economic losses get nothing while waiving their right to bring future claims. And I think, you know, to me, that's what really stands out, right? I mean, we can't have a settlement out there that says, look, I, I, I'm not necessarily giving you anything because you can show me no potential harm right now, but to waive your right to bring uh, case if harm does apply. I think that's really where the key comes in, right? I mean, go. they're sitting there yeah. saying, hey, we have two different classes of people here. We have people that have suffered monetary losses and we have people that haven't. And what you're saying is we're going to settle this by saying, hey, we'll reimburse or, or do whatever to the people that have had monetary issues. And all you people that haven't had anything yet, well, you no longer can bring anything to us. So I, it'd be interesting to see if, if they come about this and change this, they change their wording on it to say, you know, that if you haven't had anything, you're not waiving your right to be able to come back at a later time, right, and say, hey, look, I'm not going to give you anything for something that didn't happen. You know, we talk about that, too, all the time. You know, you see on the news, we, we just love to sit there and say, well, this could have happened. This could have happened. This could have happened. But guess what? It didn't happen. <laughs> right. know, there's I, a whole bunch of things that could have happened. I could have smashed my car driving to the store, but I didn't. I don't deserve any money for that. You know, and so that's, you know, I can see them going in and, and reanalyzing how they look at that other class of victim, if you will, and be able to determine, hey, look, you know what? Yeah, we're, we're not providing you anything because nothing happened, but we're also not forcing you to waive your right to bring case at a later time. If it does happen, right? Because you shouldn't be left out in the cold. Well, and, and and I, this is so this is a great question for Sean because I think this is where we get into whether you should you should uh, opt out of the class or stay in the class, and how those different types of things work. So, uh, we are at the end of our show. It has, as always, James. I love ch- chatting with you and catching up. It's people don't get get the benefit of the access to you that I have, but we, uh, James and I chat pretty much daily. So you guys just got <laughs> got a glimpse into a standard day for us chatting. Uh, bring it to Twitter hashtag DTSR. You guys know how to find Raf uh, at Jardine Software is James at Catalyst is me. Love to have these conversations. We'll keep it real. We'll keep it some straight talk, and uh, we'll see how it goes. We'll catch you again in two weeks. And we'll look forward to it. Till then, be safe. You've been listening to Down the Rabbit Hole Enterprise Security News. Give us feedback on our website, podcast.whiterabbit.net. That's W-H-1-T-3-R-A-B-B-I-T.net. Or on Twitter at White Rabbit, W-H-1-T-3-R-A-B-B-I-T. Till next time, on behalf of our co-hosts, James Jardine, Michael Santarcangelo, and the White Rabbit, Rafael Los, thanks for listening. <laughs>